In the spirit of bright goodwill, we here at The Andrew Clavin Show occasionally try to improve understanding between conservatives and left-wingers so that conservatives don't get so angry all the time and grab some annoying leftist by the throat and strangle him into semi-consciousness, then seize his limp body by the heels and hold him upside down and slam his head repeatedly into the sidewalk. That, that's what we're trying to prevent from happening. So I find it sometimes a good idea to try to explain what left-wingers mean to say when they speak in those annoying little squeaky girly girl voices they have, if they're men. If they're women, their voices are more like car alarms. Anyway, here to ease the tension is the latest edition of the Lefties Dictionary, the reference work that explains what the people who don't know what they're talking about are talking about. Let's begin with the phrase, Supreme Court. To most of us, the Supreme Court are those judges who gather in a very fancy building where even the bathrooms are made of marble and every stall comes equipped with a roll of crinkly brown paper with We the People written on it. But left-wingers use the phrase completely differently than human beings. When a leftist refers to the Supreme Court, he's thinking of a magical gathering of five caring judges who magically create laws out of the caring, magical goodness of their hearts over the objection of four mean, uncaring judges who only want to uphold the nasty constitution that made black people three-fifths of a human being by stealing the other two-fifths of their body parts to assemble slaves. The five magical judges are appointed on the basis of how much they care, because caring gives them the magic caring power by which they create caring magical laws that take all your rights away. Another word leftists use differently than people is investment. For most of us, an investment is when you take the money you earned and put it in a business you believe in so the business can thrive and your money increase. For a leftist, an investment is when they take the money you earned and make a speech about poor people and then give the money to their powerful friends so that the leftists get reelected. This explains another word leftists use differently, greedy. Let's say you go to work for 40 or more hours a week and are paid money for that work, and then leftists come with guns and take the money away from you to give to their friends so they can get reelected. And you say, hey, wait, stop, you stinking thief, that's my money. Now you're greedy because you're stopping them from making an investment so they can get reelected and appoint judges to the Supreme Court who care enough to take all your rights away. I hope these explanations will ease tensions between our two sides by helping conservatives understand that deep down, when you come to think of it, your left-wing neighbor or co-worker or friend is really just like you. You know, except evil. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. Life is tickety-boo Birds are winging, also singing Hunky-dunky-dee-doo Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy The world is a bitty zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray It makes me want to sing Oh, hurrah, hooray Oh, hooray, hurrah The Andrew Clavin Singers, ladies and gentlemen <laughs> They're here with us today and this is it, the last show before the Clavenless weekend. Yeah. But, yeah, and, and also like one more week to the election. This is oh, it. Man. And then after that, we're just going to sit here and kind of stare into the camera like this. You know, because <laughs> be, there'll be nothing left to say. But, yeah. um, but you can get through the Clavenless weekend by Eric Metaxas did an hour-long interview with me on his show. 
And so if you search that on SoundCloud or just search it on Google Clavin Metaxas, it will come up and you can listen to that. Or you can actually just go out and get my book, The Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ. You can just read that. And, you know, they have those marketing gimmicks that they have with books. This one comes with a special aura of protection. So when you read it, this little ball of light surrounds you and protects you through the Clavinless Weekend. Did you... Anybody buy that? I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't. All right. So we had a good time last night, right? We all went to the Dennis Prayer. Not all of us, but some, we went to this very, very fancy party to celebrate Dennis Prager universities getting like a gazillion hits on their 150 million hits on their videos. And lest you think I go to these uh, parties all the time, let me tell you how I got invited. <laughs> because I did I did Dave Rubin's show. I did an interview on Dave Rubin's show. And he's a really good guy. And he says, so you're going to the Prager thing? And I said, no, I didn't get invited by my friends who I work with every day. Why? <laughs> and he said, he said, well, I'll get you invited. <laughs> so he goes in. And so I thought, I thought, good, Dave is going to, Ruben's going to get me invited for these guys. So, so then I start getting tweets from him. He's, he's sending me those, you know, direct message tweets. And he's saying, so did you get invited yet? You get invited yet? <laughs> I'm starting to get embarrassed. You know, hey, listen, you know, I'm very centered within myself. I don't mind my good friends who I see and work with every day don't invite me to their fancy party. That, that doesn't bother me. That doesn't hurt me. You know, <laughs> so finally, finally, I told Ruben I was going to just go and stand outside with my nose pressed against the glass going, please, sir, could I, could you just send out some food? It just, it, the wind is so bitter cold. It would, <laughs> just a little bit. So finally they broke down and they, they invite, all right, show up. But you just show, show you how happy they were to have me there. They seated me with Shapiro. Because yeah. <laughs> everybody, everybody from the Daily Wire is on one table, like right in front of the dais. The di and, you know, Shapiro is like the never Trumper and Prager supports Trump. So Shapiro's sitting out by like the restroom and like they let me, <laughs> they let me sit, sit next to him. And so, but it was, it was a lovely, lovely evening. And it is, it is a really major accomplishment. Prager has done a wonderful thing. And the only thing I would say is that they did neglect to, to thank Jonathan Hay, our, our own beloved producer, and the god king of the Daily Wire, Jeremy Boring, who have made these, who really have made, given these videos their look and tend to them and put them out. And they really do look, uh, you know, original and creative. And they're just a way of teaching people basic principles of of American life and Judeo-Christian uh, ethics and all this stuff. And Prager got up and he gave this speech, which I really liked because it wasn't, you know, Prager can be very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He can, he can really, he can really bring the intellectual goods, you know, he can really deliver an intellectual speech that sets out his opinions here, 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 and here. But he didn't do that. He came out and made a kind of sentimental speech about what he'd been trying to do his whole life and how touched he was that everybody showed up. And he made this one point that really reached me where he talked about the fact that conservatives are at a disadvantage because conservatives tend to be happier than left-wingers. And you only have to take a look at it. I mean, you know, every survey shows this, but you really only have to look at them to see that this is true. And he said, and happy people don't want to fight. You know, you don't want to fight. You like your wife. You like your job. You like what you're doing. You like your life. You like life itself. You like America. Why would you go out and fight? You know, and you, and, and I, I really do believe that's true because, I, like, I have never looked for a fight. My only, the only thing that keeps dropping me into the soup is that it's never occurred to me to not say what I was thinking. You know, I mean, I, like I have, 
I say this, I know this sounds a little funny, but I have really good manners. I mean, I was just raised with really good manners, and so I'm never rude to anybody, but it never occurs to me to not say what's right in, what I'm seeing right in front of me, and that has become the problem. Now that has been, in fact, this is Prager's, Prager's new video is about this very thing. So play, play this, this is our friend Kim Strassel, who brought out this great book, The Intimidation Game, talking about what it's like to be in America under leftism. This is the United States of America. You are totally free to express your political views. No one is going to tell you what you can say or how you can say it, right? But what if you thought you'd be audited by the IRS or have your business boycotted or even lose your job? Would you speak freely then? This isn't a hypothetical question. It's happening to Americans right now. It's what I call the intimidation game. The object of this very real game is to make political opponents pay a high price for expressing their opinions. It was a standard technique in the Jim Crow South in the 1950s. It was used by racist Southern Democrats to shut up black civil rights groups like the NAACP. And now these tactics have been revived and improved upon by today's Democratic Party and their allies on the progressive left. They want to shut up conservatives, just like racists once wanted to shut up blacks and their liberal supporters. They do it in three ways. First, they harass. Second, they investigate and prosecute. And third, they blackmail. And, and why do they, and this is becoming, this is becoming so pervasive that it's not, you know, we think about it on the universities, and I'll talk about that in a second, but it's really everywhere. And, and why do they do it? Because it, the old joke is that conservatives, that leftists want conservatives to shut up, and conservatives want leftists to keep talking. Because they know they can't win the argument. Everything they touch turns to garbage. And so if you point it out, then you're racist and sexist and you're this and that. And those are just other ways. All those things just translate into shut up. That's all they mean. When somebody calls you a racist, it doesn't mean you hate people of different races. Somebody calls you a sexist, it doesn't mean you're unfair to women. It just means shut up or we'll shame you. Scott Adams, the, the guy who does those Dilbert cartoons, very funny Dilbert cartoons, he's been kind of like talking about this election from a point of view of persuasion and the way psychologically then i think it was yesterday he just went nuts he got attacked and listen listen to this this is on uh, scott adams blog he says i've been trying to figure out what common trait binds clinton supporters together as far as i can tell the most unifying characteristic is a willingness to bully in all its forms. If you have a Trump sign in your lawn, they will steal it. If you have a Trump bumper sticker, they will deface your car. If you speak of Trump at work, you could get fired. On social media, almost every message I get from a Clinton supporter is a bullying type of message. They insult, they try to shame, they lab label, and obviously, they threaten my livelihood. We know from Project Veritas that Clinton supporters try to incite violence at Trump rallies. The media downplays it. We also know Clinton's side hired paid trolls to bully online. You don't hear much about that. Yesterday, by no coincidence, Huffington Post, Salon, and Daily Kos all published similar-sounding hit pieces on me, presumably to lower my influence. Joe Biden said he wanted to take Trump behind the bleachers and beat him up. Let's play, play the Joe Biden clip. I have not wanted to get into, if you notice in the national press, talking about Trump's behavior, his personal behavior. But what he said he did and does is a textbook definition of sexual assault. And think, no, no, think about this. But it's more than that. He said, because I'm famous, 
because I'm a star, because I'm a billionaire, I can do things other people can't. What a disgusting assertion for anyone to make. The press always asks me, don't I wish I were debating him? No, I wish you were in high school. I could take him behind the gym. That's what I wish. First of all, I don't want to glamorize violence, but Donald Trump would bounce Joe Biden down the street like a basketball, you know? I mean, like, I mean that's not, that would not be a, a fair fight. And, you know, it's the essence of bullying. What he said there is the essence of bullying is that might makes right. I can beat you up, therefore I'm right, and it doesn't matter what you say. I mean, that is that is the essence of what they are doing. So anyway, uh, Scott Adams goes on and on. He's just furious. And at the end, he says, I'm endorsing Trump, and Trump is going to win. And he really he really goes after him. And this whole thing, you know, it, it is emanating. The place we see it most is in the colleges. And I want you to watch this video that Chico State in, out here in California put out. This is the Chico State Athletic Department puts out this video telling you what you should and shouldn't say. And if you, if you can, I know you're, you're, you may be listening, you may not be watching, pay, pay close attention to the progression of the things that you can't say and, and watch how it goes because it, it is the left in a nutshell. I don't say retarded. It's insulting to people with disabilities, and that's not cool. It's an offensive word, and a mental disability doesn't define who you are. I don't say the N-word. Growing up, my mom taught me about the history of the word and, and the meaning behind it and how it's derogatory to people with my skin color. It's one of those words that just cuts really deep into your skin and just makes you feel like less, less of a human being, I guess. I don't say man up. As a female athlete, I don't appreciate terminology that is used to degrade women. I don't use the word spaz. My cousin has disabilities he cannot control. He grew up right down the street from me and we were best friends. All throughout high school he was picked on and I believe that that word is derogatory towards him. I don't say the word rape because even the hardest of workouts don't compare to the trauma of sexual assault. I don't say run like a girl. I don't say they're like a girl. Doing things like a girl shouldn't be an insult because I'm a firm believer that gender does not define an athlete. I'm gonna run, swim, and throw to the best of my abilities, and being a girl has nothing to do with that. I don't say you're a p A part of a woman's body should never be used as a connotation for weakness. I don't say, what are you? Growing up being both black and white, I've always had to struggle with fitting in on one side or the other. I'd rather people judge me based on who I am than my ethnicity. Okay, we're going to unpack that in a minute, but first we have to say goodbye to our friends on Facebook and YouTube. You can come over to The Daily Wire or download us on iTunes and SoundCloud, or you could subscribe if you weren't so damn cheap. <laughs> you subscribe, you get a month for free. I think we're st are we still giving away Ben's book? You get Shapiro's novel, True Allegiance. It's very, very entertaining, and you can do all those things and watch us on The Daily Wire. But right now, you've got to come on over to The Daily Wire and hear the rest of the show. So that video just kind of was a perfect, the perfect progression of the way the left thinks. It starts out, he says, I don't say the, the N-word. Now, the N-word, you know, I, I always feel stupid saying things like N-word, you know, F-word, because everybody knows what you're saying, so what's the point? But, but in all fairness, this word, which was, you could actually say it, it was, a, it was hate speech when I was a kid, but it wasn't considered a dirty word. Now it is, it should be. It was a mean, nasty way to talk to somebody. I mean, it just, just 
manners alone should keep you from saying that. So they progress from hate, genuine hate speech, which, you know, should be frowned upon at, at the very least, to speech that simply describes reality or fills a need. You know, like when, when you call somebody a, a retard, you know, you're not really making fun of people with mental illnesses, but the fact is you need a word that basically exaggerates people's stupidity. Why do you need a word like that? Because it's the way people talk. I remember Obama said, oh, it's like the Special Olympics. Nobody went nuts when he said that. Nobody went, you know, he, he apologized, but nobody went crazy when he said Because we know that that represents, it's a way of saying that people are not living up to things. We need, you know, words are tools. Words are not, do not create reality. This is the left's big mistake. Words do not create reality. They simply communicate feelings. And it's a good thing to stop using hate words like the N-word, but believe me, you can use African-American, you can use anything you want as hate speech if the hate is in your heart. That words are just tools. And, you know, I always tell this silly story, but I, I'll tell it very quickly. It's like it, men, are, men are turned on by the word panties. They feel a little zing when they hear the word panties. When I lived in England, they don't say panties, they say knickers. And I thought, like, knickers, that's what the Three Stooges wear when they play golf, you know? So I was like, there's absolutely, no, you know, there's absolutely no sexual charge to that at all. Within six months, the word knickers, I'd hear the word knickers, oh, that's kind of sexy, you know, knickers, yeah. Because, why? Because they came to me panties, which come with women in, in, in them, you know? I mean, that's, and that's sexy. That's all the way it is. So words convey these things, and when they stop you from using words, all it does is move the goalpost. It moves the goalpost. Within a few months, a new word comes along. You know, people didn't used to say retarded. They said moron. Moron was a word for a retarded person, basically. You know, that's the way, that's the way it works. We're always going to find words to fill the need that we have to communicate. And what, by controlling this, what they're trying to do is control your descriptions of reality. That's why it's so offensive, so offensive, when they say, well, you must use the proper pronoun about somebody, because they're telling you not only that this man thinks he's a woman, but you have to think this man is a woman. I mean, that is what they're trying to do. They're trying, and, and you know, I, I talk about narrative all the time because I believe it is the true fight we're in. The true fight we're in is for the intellectual atmosphere, and that is why when conservatives abandon the culture, when they abandon the movies, when they abandon you know, literature and the arts and, and music and women's magazines, they've abandoned the country. And sitting around talking about laws and this law and that law and what this person should do and what that person should do ain't going to get you anywhere. It's not going to get you anywhere once the story is told. There's a brilliant scene in the movie The Giver, one of the most shocking scenes I've seen in a movie in a long time, where somebody kills a baby. It's a futuristic, you know, uh, dystopia story. Very famous novel. It was made into a film you know, this futuristic dystopia story, and they kill this baby, and this kid is watching this saying, how can he do this? It's evil. And the wise old man says to him, he doesn't know. He doesn't realize. And that is a comment, if, if it's not, if it wasn't meant to be, it certainly came across as a comment on abortion, because people do commit abortion, and they don't know. They're not evil. That's why, that's why people recoil when you say you want to punish women for having abortions. They recoil from that because you know that they are not knowingly doing evil. They, they aren't because the narrative has taken away the meaning of that child's life. And that's, that's what they're fighting for. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to control your mind. And that is what is so upsetting about this election is because it is taking place in 
It is taking place in a world of unreality. It is taking place in a world of unreality. We're talking about things. You know, there's there's these new email revelations today. Every day has new email revelations. <laughs> it's getting to be kind of it's getting to be kind of ridiculous. But here, I'm, I'm going to read this from the New York Times, a former newspaper. But I re-edited the story because what they did is they buried the lead. You know, this is another leftist trick. You don't put the lead at the top of the story where people are going to read it. You put it down below where maybe they'll just their eyes won't pick it out. The lead is Hillary Clinton, as one of these emails showed, <coughs> promised to attend a Clinton Foundation gathering in Morocco at the behest of its king, who had pledged $12 million to the cha- to her charity. This uh, what, what is it called? The Clinton something global initiative. So it's the CGI, the CGI. Her advisors, advisors worried that would look unseemly just as she was beginning her presidential campaign in earnest. Huma Abedin, her aide and lesbian lover, said she created she created this mess, and she knows it. She created this mess, and it knows it. And the emails are just filled with people uh, who are coming to want to give are roped into giving money to the charity, and then are steered to giving Bill Clinton huge speaking fees, which go right into their pocket. I mean, the whole thing is a criminal enterprise. Listen here now. So let's compare two news shows. Here is Morning Joe Scarborough uh, talking to the commentator Mark Halpern, really a very intelligent and usually very fair commentator about these emails. I find myself this morning stunned by how crude, by how crude uh, and how crudely drawn out this was uh, about the blurring of lines of helping, using a foundation you say you're setting up to help the world and at the same time bragging about how you're going to blur the lines between the money raised for the foundation uh, and in, uh, in one hand and the other raised $66 million for Bill Clinton, Inc. They're bragging about it. There's no question that if you ever have been to CGI, you see business going on and that Bill Clinton, Doug Band and others enriched themselves by leveraging those relationships and by uh, uh, offering access to people in the context of CGI. As Willie said, the big missing piece here, which doesn't doesn't diminish scrutiny on the other things you've been talking about, is did any of those people get stuff from the government when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State? We already know they got of the ability to rub elbows with people in the Clinton orbit. And I guarantee you, while some of those companies were motivated by doing good, some of them were motivated by at least also doing Wait, well. Okay. So, so and, and Mika Brzezinski, uh, Joe's sidekick, whose dad was, I don't know how to pronounce it, Zbigniew Brzezinski, but a, a major player in both the Carter and the LBJ administration, so a big Democrat. She says he's appalled. He's appalled at how open this is, you know, with how openly they're discussing this stuff. So, so that's one thing that we're hearing again and again, and I've been talking about this all week, the levels of corruption that, of course, you know, if it were just these emails, it would be so bad. If it were just this, the server, it would be so bad. But it's the corruption of the Justice Department, the corruption of the IRS, the corruption of the FBI. It's all this stuff that is now the machinery of government. The machinery of government under Barack Obama has become Tammany Hall, Chicago politics, at the top level. And I don't think I don't think that's ever happened before. There have been corruption scandals in the government before, but you know, and and the 
Nixon administration did bad things, but nothing like Obama. Nothing. Watergate was nothing like this. Watergate, which has become the basic term for a political scandal, was nowhere near as bad as the stuff Obama has done. And now, and, and now the press is writing, he's the most scandal-free administration. <laughs> it's just like, it's like, it reminds me of Admiral Nelson when he didn't want to see the signal to retreat. He would put a telescope to his, his missing eye. And he says, I, I don't see the signal. I don't see this. You know, they don't see the scandal. They don't see the scandal. So that that is on the Morning Joe show. Now, here is CNN, in which uh, CNN has a pro-Trump lady named uh, Kylie McEnany. And she's talking to the uh, attorney, anti-Trump attorney, Lisa Bloom. And they're discussing Newt Gingrich and uh, Megyn Kelly's argument before. And so Kaylee comes out and defends Newt. He was standing up for voters. Voters don't want to hear about this, Lisa, because none of these allegations, these kissing allegations, affect the lives of American voters. What does are Obamacare premiums or some of the things we saw in WikiLeaks. People want to hear about issues. They, quite frankly, don't care about this, certainly not at a 7 to 1 ratio. Is what we see with Media Research Center is the coverage over Donald Trump's sex tapes, allegation, whatever you want to call them, versus the Sexual assault. Let's say the words that we're talking about. When he talks about grabbing a woman's genitals and what fun it is for him because he's a star and he can get away with it, when over a dozen women have come forward with sexual assault allegations, we are talking about sexual assault. We are not talking about sex. You know, I would agree that if we're talking about consensual assault, adult sex, we don't need to talk about it. But when we're talking about having somebody as the leader of our country who is subjected over and over again to allegations from credible women who have nothing to gain that is absolutely a key important issue now now i could make a dozen arguments here i could say that everything trump said was true these women did let him get away with it if indeed he did it you know if indeed he actually did do it i could you know i could make that point i could make the point that you know his personality is nowhere near as as bad as her corruption and all that stuff but that's not the point because i don't really like donald trump and i know this bugs people because you want something to believe in you know, you want to you want to say if, if she's bad, then he must be good. And I, I get it. I really do believe in something else. You know, believe, <laughs> believe, you know, put not your faith in princes. You know, these we have not got any princes who are going to save you. Nobody human is going to save you. Put your faith in something decent and real like, I don't know, God, something, you know, just I, I don't know. Just that's off the top of my head. You know, if I had time to think I'd come up with something better. But, you know, <laughs> you know I'm not I'm not even going to make that point. I think I think, you know, if, if he did these things. I think it is a news story. I think it's true. It's the imbalance. And that was the point Gingrich was making yesterday. It's, it's the imbalance. This, this corruption that has eaten into every level is what they are shutting you up about. This is what all this stuff, which seems like it's about virtue, it is about shutting you up so you do not see the power grab and the corruption. And it's at every level. Here's Clarence Thomas, just I think this was yesterday, talking about what's happening in Washington, D.C. This is the Supreme Court justice, of course. This city is broken in some ways. Um, the, you know, I've been here now most of my adult, most of my life now. And the, um, I think that we have become very comfortable with not thinking things through and um, debating things. That's one of the things I love about the court. You can actually talk to people about things. Um, and I think that we have decided that rather than confront the disagreements and the differences of opinion, we'll just simply annihilate the person who disagrees with me. Mm. Um, I don't think that's going to work. 
I don't think that's going to work in a republic or in a, a civil society. If you notice, in my opinions, I, and I don't attack personally my, my colleagues. I, I disagree with them strongly because I think it's important for me to leave them standing and to leave the institution standing and to sharply dis have the uh, contrast and the, the points of view. Mm. But I don't think that's going to change in the city until we get back to sort of a notion that we argue, that we debate, that we decide things based on logic and facts and reason, as opposed to uh, who yells the loudest or who has the best narrative or best meme or uh, some other nonsense. Uh, so all, all I want to leave you with about this is, is this. When you are called sexist, when you are called racist, when you are called hateful, when you are told what words you can use, it just means shut up. And it means shut up so you do not see the power grab, so you do not see the corruption, so you don't discuss, you know, you don't discuss the reality of what's happening to our government and what's happening to our country, which really is pretty bad. And, you know, my beef with Trump from the very beginning, from the days of the primaries, is that he is many of the things that they accuse us of being. But it shouldn't affect you, and it's certainly not going to affect me. But whatever they say, do not be afraid. Do not be, let them make you afraid of saying what you have to say, because eventually, eventually, the truth will out. And these guys will be brought down in their corruption and in their in their dirtiness, the dirtiness of this party. It will be brought down, if not this election, soon. It will be. Let me leave you on a lighter note before before we say goodbye. I just have to play this one thing. Alfonso Cardona on Twitter tweeted me today this thing from Super Mexican. And Super Mexican is a really, really good commentator. And he made this video. Now, I'm going to build up this video. We do have this one. I did yeah. remember. Okay. <laughs> he's, he's put out this video today. I don't know if you remember. I think it was a Super Bowl commercial with the famous announcer Paul Harvey called yeah. God Made a Farmer. Remember? It says, God needed somebody. Harvey had the funniest voice on earth. So he said, God needed somebody to work the, for the soil and get up in the morning and do that. So God made a farmer. This is Super Mexican, one of the really funny commentators around God Made a Liberal. And on the ninth day, God spilled some coffee on an angry possum and God made a liberal. God said, I need someone willing to get up at the crack of noon and check their Facebook and tweet vile things, take a nap, borrow money from their parents, and stay out all night drinking paps ironically and snorting bath salts and wine until midnight. So God made a liberal. He said, I need a person that can take a thriving community and turn it into a debt-ridden post-apocalyptic welfare state. I need someone who thinks meat is murder, produce is raised in grocery aisles, who can't fix a flat tire or change your own oil, and who, when forced to finally get a job as a barista, makes you wait for your latte while they play Angry Birds on their iPhone and then takes his union-mandated two-hour break. So God made a liberal. God said, I need somebody dumb enough to believe in global warming and deficit spending, yet arrogant enough to look down at hard-working folk because they don't have a worthless PhD in 17th century Belgian lesbian studies. It had to be someone that would tax and spend, sue and attack, flip and flop, legislate from the bench and pass an unread bill, a person that would take a story of American success and turn it into a lesson of injustice. So God made a liberal. It had to be someone who'd lie to themselves and others and envy the successful. Someone to whine, cry, demand, screech, and scream sexist, intolerant, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, racist, bigot. 
It had to be someone that at the end of the day they could go home after helping rip apart a country with divisive race and class war, and who would laugh and then sigh with mocking eyes, thinking, if I hadn't aborted all my children, they'd probably say they want to spend their life doing what Dad does. So God made a liberal. Fact check true, I think. That was <laughs> all right, that's it for this week. Halloween stuff I like. Halloween is here. It is here. Monday is Halloween. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Halloween, you know, I actually like Halloween very much, even though I will never wear costumes. I am absolutely... I, <laughs> no costume. So we always end with music. Our beloved Lindsay Boring, who is not uh, no longer with us, but she's still with us, but she's not with us. You, you, you know what I mean. <laughs> she sent me She sent me this really creepy little piece of music she's written and she sings, uh, which is called The Watcher in the Woods on YouTube if you're looking for it, although the song sounds like it's called The Hunter in the Woods. Anyway, it is really creepy. We'll end with that. Uh, listen to Eric Metaxas's interview with me to survive the Clavenless weekend, but you might just for safety also want to have guns and ammo and water and uh, possibly a barricade made of bricks. You know, I'm Andrew Claven. This is the Andrew Claven Show. We will be back again on Halloween. <laughs> No little deer could stand against the hunter in the woods. Be careful, pretty little.